you know, spiritual growth is, is often hard. It seems like we're just, sometimes we say, well, I just don't feel like I'm growing or I just don't have victory. And the great truth is that when we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, we are new people, we're born again, we are new in Christ. And one of the things we just have to learn is day to day to trust God. Because we come out of a background of our own lives. Of, in fact, we have the flesh that always is telling us what to do. And we always say, well, i got to do this, and i got to do this, and i got to do this. And what we have to do is basically learn to trust God, to rest in Him, uh, in His power rather than our power. Uh, it's easy to live our lives in the flesh because that's the natural thing. Jacob has always had his plans. Jacob has always had his tricks. Jacob has always figured out ways to get his way. But from now on, he's going to have to trust God. He's going to have to rest in God and his plan. And tonight, I think we see that Jacob, we see Jacob as he learns to trust God. I think it's really powerful. And I think in our lives, we have to do the same thing. We just have to realize, you know, that when you wake up every day and say, in myself, there is no strength. That You know, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. In him, we can do all things. We have to say, as I go through life, I have to live my life based on the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit as a walk of faith. Well, Jacob has spent his life in deceit and tricks, and tonight he trusts God, and that's what we need to do. We need, that's an unusual passage tonight. Jacob wrestles with God. I mean, people would say, that doesn't even make sense. Why, what, what, is, what is the point of this? Why would he do that? And we've already seen there are a lot of things in the book of Genesis that we look at and say they're weird. I mean, here's Jacob. He, he gets ready to leave to go off of this 20-year trip, which he doesn't know. He thinks it's going to be just a short time. He lays down what has this dream of this ladder, this this kind of slanted thing up to heaven, and he sees these angels going up and down on it, and, and the Lord's at the top. And now he has this encounter. And, and so it, what he saw before he left and what he sees when he comes back changes his life. And so it's very, very powerful. It is a very unusual passage. And uh, he's on his way from Haran, which is modern-day Iran, Iraq. He's making this long trip. He's coming to the promised land, the land that God had given to Abraham and Isaac and now to him. And God told him to come. That's one of the reasons he left. As he comes near, some unusual, unusual things happen. I want you to go back again to verse 1 of Genesis 32. Notice what happened when he got there. Now, Jacob went on his way. As Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. You remember, as he left some 20 years earlier, the angels were there going up and down that, that, you know, that thing. And now, as people call it Jacob's ladder, but he, they're going up and down this kind of rampway. And now, as he comes back, the angels of God met him. It's so almost God saying, see, when you left here, I told you I'd be with you. The angels were here. You come back. I've told you I'm going to be with you. Here are the angels. And Jacob said when he saw them, he said, this is, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanan, which means two camps. And that idea there is he was saying, here, I'm here and God's here. So I'm okay. I'm fine. But as we saw this passage, we remembered there were key, three key things that tied into what we're going to learn in this passage. One, the first thing is we saw Jacob's going to have to come up with a plan. Jake, we're going to see Jacob's prayer, and we're going to see Jacob trusting God. And last week, we saw the plan in the prayer. We saw how that fit together. And tonight, if you would go back, uh, go back to the slide right before that. Uh, we're, tonight, we're actually going to see the whole idea of trust, how Jacob trusts in God. So there's some great things there. Let's start with the plan, okay? And let's see if you remember what happened. Look at chapter uh, at 32, look at verse 3. Jacob sent messengers to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Now he sent messengers and said, I'm coming back. Uh, I'm your servant. I've made a long trip. I've got a lot of stuff. That's the first thing that he did in Genesis chapter 32, verses 3, 4, and 5. That's what he did. He sent, he sent his servants and he said, you go to my brother and say, 
Jacob's on his way, and he's got all kind of stuff, and he wants to see you, and he wants to find favor with you. So the first part of the plan was just send some people out there. But then there was a twofold thing that he decided, because if you remember, here was, here was the key. In verse 6, the response, the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he's coming to meet you. That sounds pretty good. And 400 men are with him. That doesn't sound pretty good. That sounds pretty bad. He thinks, my gracious, he's coming with 400 men. He's coming with 400 soldiers. He's going to come wipe me out. He's still mad about what happened 20 years ago, and I don't blame him. Because what did he steal? You remember? His birthright and the blessing. And so you would think for these last 20 years, would Esau have been blessed? Have you studied chapter 33? When he meets Esau, what's Esau? Esau's blood. Esau says, I... You don't need to give me any presents. I got plenty. So Jacob is worried to, worried to death that his brother is going to kill him. So he comes up with this plan that's twofold. First of all, go back if you would. First of all, he divided his household. Look at verse 7. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. So he said, if Esau comes to one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. So that was his plan. He said, here's what I'll do. Uh, if my brother's coming to kill everybody with 400 people, I'll divide us into two big groups. And maybe one group, if he attacks one, the other group will get away. That was part one of the plan. The second thing was, and number two, is he's going to send presents to Esau. And we talked about this last week. And remember, some people even said last week, we talked about it, could it be that he's still... He's still doing his own thing. He's always in presence, but this is his way of tricking. This is his way of saying, I just got to get on the good side of my brother. I'm going to send the presence. And if you look at verse 13, so he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau. Now, it's, it's not just one present. Look down at verse 17. He commanded the one in front, saying, When my brother Esau meets you, and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong, and to where are you going, and all these animals? Because he sent them, and he sent all these animals ahead. Then you say, These belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my lord Esau, and behold, he's also behind us. He commanded also the second group, and the third group, and all those who followed the droves, all said, Say the same thing. After this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. So his plan was this. I'll send a group out. They have all kind of animals and everything. When they see Esau, Esau says, Who are you? And what is all the, what, what do you got all these animals for? What are you doing? They say, well, this all, we're, we're from Jacob, and these animals are his, but he's given them to you. He wants them to be a present to you, and he's on the way. And the next group would do the same thing, and the next group would do the same thing, and the next group would do the same thing. That's the plan. Why? What did he want to do? Notice uh, verse 20, and you shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then after all, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. Now, that is the plan. The plan was divided into two parts because we have to go back and see the prayer in just a second because the prayer is sort of in the middle of this plan issue. But he's got a pretty good plan, don't you think? The pretty good plan is my brother's coming to kill me with 400 people, so I'm going to send a whole bunch of presents up there. I'm going to divide everybody into groups just in case. So if he attacks one, half of them may get away. That's going to be my plan. Surely, as he gets more and more presents, he'll go, hmm, presents, presents. Presents. Well, I'm not as mad as I was. I mean, why do you feel when you get presents? Right? You're a little bit mad. Somebody says, I got here. I've got this candy bar for you. <laughs> candy bar. I like a Mars candy bar. I like Snickers, you know. And you're not as mad, right? Well, all these presents are coming. 
Now, the second thing that he wanted to do was the prayer, if you remember. And you go back to verse 9 to see the prayer. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. Now, he starts off by praying to the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and he calls him O Lord. And if you notice, it's all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which means it's the personal name of God, Y-H-W-H. And so he prays to the God of Abraham and Isaac and to the Lord, and he says, You told me to come back, and you would prosper me. But one of the key things that we see is he realized his unworthiness. Verse 10, I am unworthy of all the kind, the loving kindness, and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed the Jordan, and I come back with two companies. He said, when I left, I had nothing. When I come back, I'm rich. And then he got very specific in the prayer. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. And he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. Well, that's a specific prayer. Let me tell you something. When you pray, what should you do? Pray as specific as you can. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And sometimes you say, well, I'll just bless them. I pray, pray I'll bless, bless this person. No. But, you know, they're going to be blessed. You may never see it. You may never understand it. When we pray, be as specific as we can. Because the more specific we make the request, the more specific you're going to see the answer. That's what's so powerful about God and his word and, and all of that. Well, hey, the, by the way, the prayer was based on the covenant. If you look at verse 12, he, he, he said, You said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. That's part of the covenant. So as Jacob comes back, he has a great plan. And he's been praying, and he prays to God to protect him. And he says, God, you're the one that told me to come back, and I have to tr- I, I just, you know, you're, you told me to do this, so I'm asking you to protect me. That takes us to the third part, and this is where, uh, if you go to the next slide, this is where you're going to have to trust God. This is where he learns to trust God. He realizes that all of his life, he's been a deceiver. All of his life, he has been doing things. He has tricked and fooled and planned to get his way. Well, tonight, he's going to have to learn to trust God. And I think the three things, as we look at this little section here, one is we're going to see Jacob wrestles with God. We're going to see that Jacob learns to trust God. That's where he has to hang on. You know, we'll, we'll give you an idea as we look at this that he's wrestling. And the wrestling is not the best thing. The wrestling is he's still fighting. He's still doing his own thing. Finally, he learns to hang on to God. That's trusting God. And God gives Jacob some reminders about this night. Two different things. One has to do with his leg. The other has to do with his name. And from this point on, he's never the same person. The rest of his life, he walks with a limp. The rest of his life. And every time he takes a step, he remembers this night. Every time he takes a step, he says, God, trust God. God, trust God. God, trust God. That's what God did. We'll see how it fits together. Look at verse 21. So the presence passed on before him while he himself spent the night at the camp. There he is. He's, he's ready. He sent everything on up. He sent the presence on ahead. He's going to spend the night in the camp. And we're going to see what happens. And let me give you just a little summary. He's going to send his family across. He's going to wrestle with God. We're going to see all of these things happen. Now, before we, we get to the end of this part, remember his plan. Tell him I'm coming, divide the camp, send the presence. He prayed, I'm unworthy, save me. And now he's going to have to trust. When we have trials and problems, when we go through life, we've got to do the same thing. It's okay to plan, to think about what God has for us and what we want to do. And it's, and it's you should pray, 
and say, Lord, be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and let your request be made known to God. And then you're going to have to learn to trust that he's going to do his plan. He's going to work it out. We'll see how it is. Well, let's see what happens that night. Now, he arose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Now, where they were, they were crossing over, and he's sending the family on ahead, and they're crossing over to a place called the ford of Jabbok. Do you know what Jabbok means? It means wrestle. It means wrestling. It may not have been called Jabbok till after this night, okay? But this is when the when we're getting it written down. He says they crossed over Jabbok, which meant the place of wrestling. He sends his wives, two wives, his two maids, his eleven children, and crossed the ford. They sent them on. He took them and sent them across the stream, and he sent across whatever he had. He's taken everything and he sent it across. He's by himself at the original camp. He's already sent everybody across. Why did he do that? Well, maybe he knew something was about to happen. Maybe he sensed God was doing something. Maybe he thought, well, if if Jacob, if Esau gets me, even right now, if he were to come in the midst of the night and attack, and he comes and gets me, everybody else might be safe because he may just get me. I'm the only one. I'm by myself. Or he could have been thinking that he might kill everybody else and miss me because I'm not with him. Who knows what he's thinking? But look what happens. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. He was left alone. Do you, why do you think he was left alone? Could it be that he thought, I'll, I'll, I'll be by myself tonight, and I will pray, and I'll think of all the things I'm going to say to Esau when I see him. But look what happened. And a man By the way, the Hebrew word there is ish. It's just the normal Hebrew word for man. It says a man wrestled with him until daybreak. A man wrestled all night. Now, look at this. It says a man appeared and they struggled. See, the word wrestle means struggle. In Hebrew, it literally means to get dusty. A man, he and a man got dusty. It's like picturing rolling around on the ground. That's what it's picturing. Do you get dusty because you're wrestling? You're on the ground. You're, You're rolling around. And we'd say, well, who is this man? It's not Jacob. I mean, it's not Esau. He didn't show up. And I mean, who, who could this be? Who is this man? And, and we see from the context, as you study it, it is God. It's the pre-incarnate Christ, most likely. This is what we call a theophany. That's a technical, it's a, it's a theological term coming from two Greek words. Theos, which means God, and thanareo, which means appearing. So you put theophany and thanareo, you put theos and thanareo together, it's theophany, which means a God appearing. It's where God appears in some form. Now, there are a lot of theophanies in the scripture. If you remember later, Moses is standing and he sees a burning bush. And he says, you know, it's kind of amazing. The bush is burning, but it's not burning up. He says, I think I'll go over there and see what's going on. That's a theophany. That's an appearance of God. And Samuel's mother, uh, uh, Samson's mother and father had an appearance of God. He appeared to them. It looked like a person and anything and just disappeared. And they went, oh, my gosh, that was God. And here is an appearance of God in some kind of form that looks just like a man. And they call this 
the pre-incarnate Christ, the theophany, because Jesus hasn't left the glories of heaven and become a human being. Because when Jesus Christ leaves heaven and becomes a human being, it's not an appearing and it's not a temporary thing. It's where Jesus comes and becomes a human being and becomes the God-man. And for the rest of all eternity, Jesus Christ has a human body. He is, where is he? Seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And so, for all eternity, Jesus Christ will have a human body. In this part, whether it's God or a pre-incarnate Jesus or whatever it is, it's God in a human-type form wrestling with Jacob. Now notice, and this is, uh, this is what's strange. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Now, sometimes when you look at this, especially in Hebrew, you can't. There's not capitals and things like that. You can't tell is that when he had saw he had not prevailed. Is that Jacob? Is that God? Is who is who? Well, you find out that it's saying God saw he had not prevailed against him. Now, prevailed. I want you to understand. That prevailed means Jacob's still fighting. When he says prevailed, it's not saying that Jacob is beating God. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying that God was hoping that Jacob would get through fighting, would quit wrestling, would quit striving in his own power. And so when he says, he said, then he saw he had not prevailed against him. Because Jacob, go back. Jacob is still fighting. Jacob's still struggling. And so he says he had not prevailed against him. And so it's almost like God saying, are you going to ever stop trying to do things on your own? Are you going to ever stop trying to live the Christian life in your power? Are we going to ever get to the point where we're going to trust God and allow God to work through us instead of us trying to do things ourselves? You know this story. I've told you all this. that I trusted Christ when I was 19. I was in college. And it was it was great. I knew I was going to heaven. I had eternal life, and it was great. But I didn't understand how to live the Christian life. I thought you you tried to live the Christian life. You just tried to live a good life. And so I'd wake up in the morning. And I'd go today. Today I'm going to really live for God. And I would wouldn't be very long. I'd blow it. And it got to the point that I was so frustrated that I remember laying in the bed one night in my dorm saying. I wish I'd have never really heard about all this. I wish I had never heard about all this because I can't do this. I can't live the Christian life. I know I've got eternal life, but I just can't do this. And the answer was, you're exactly right. When are you going to stop trying to do it and let God do it through you? And what he's saying to Jacob, Jacob is still striving. It's almost like God is saying, how long are you going to keep fighting against me? When are you going to finally learn to rest and to trust me. So what does God do? God touches the socket of his thigh and it's dislocated. Now what Jacob realizes, up to this point he's wrestling this man and he thinks he's pretty much doing okay. And then the man just says, excuse me. And all of a sudden he can't even do anything. And he goes, oh my gosh, who is this? this he realized this was something supernatural. This wasn't just some man he's wrestling. He's showing his power. And I think that moment, Jacob realizes it's God. And that you don't fight against God. You hold on to God. You don't fight against God. You hold on to God. So look what he did. Then he said, verse 26, Then he said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. That's God saying, Okay, 
But he says, no, no, I'm hanging on. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, this is what, what God wants. He, the second thing, Jacob's now clinging to this man. Jacob's now clinging to God. Jacob's no longer the aggressor. I think the next slide, he's no longer the aggressor fighter, but he's just trying to hold on. He's the clinger. Not a cling on, but a clinger, and he's trying to hang on, right? And the man says, let me go. And he says, no, not until you what? Bless me. That's what... You think God's going, let me go. God's saying, let me go. What do you want me to do? And Jacob's saying, I want you to bless me. And God's saying, you're finally getting it. You're finally getting it. You stop fighting and you start holding and you start saying, bless me. Now, has God blessed Jacob all this time? All this time. What what do you think Jacob thought? A lot of this is God and a lot of this is me. But now Jacob's saying, you know what? It had never been me. All blessings come from God. It is never us. You get to teach a Bible study, and it comes out, and people go, good stuff. You can't say, yeah, I'm glad I studied that and put that together. All you can say is, it is the grace of God. He used you, and it's His Word that's the power. And you lead somebody to Christ, you get to talk to somebody, and they trust Christ. You can't say, good thing I was here. You can say, it's the grace of God. He used me to touch lives. It's always that way. It's not our strength. It's gone through us. So he says, let me go for the dawn is breaking. No, no, but but he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now watch what God does. He's already touched his leg, which from this point on, he's going to always remember this. and He's going to always hurt. He's going to always limp. He's going to always have to say, that's the night I learned to trust God. That's the night I gave up fighting myself. But look what he says. I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? Let me ask you something. Does God know his name? Who gave him his name? God did. Why did God say that? He wants Jacob to say it. And Jacob said, Jacob, which means what? Deceiver. What's your name? Uh, Deceiver. (laughs) I love it. So watch. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, deceiver, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, the word Israel, you know, it, we're going to see this contrast because the, the, the emphasis is on his name, which means deceiver. And now what's going to happen? He's going to change his name to Israel, which means prince of God. And, and the word prince there has the idea of rule, ruler, and it has the idea to strive and to rule. And that's why sometimes the name could be the striver of God, the prince of God, the ruler of God. And so what he's saying is, I'm going to change your name from Jacob, deceiver, to Israel, prince of God, ruler of God, striver of God, because you have striven with God, you have, you know, and you have prevailed. He said, you learned from this. You got what you're supposed to get. It's victory for Jacob. It's victory for Jacob. He realized he has to cling to God and rest to God, rest in God to have victory. It is not his strength, it's God's strength. And we have exactly the same thing. You got to trust God, you got to cling to him, you got to say, God, it's you through me. It's never me, it's always you. That's what you have to say. That's how we have to wait. We wake up in the morning, we say, God, thank you for another day. Because you didn't have, he didn't have to let you live. Thank you for another day. Use me, Lord. Take your power through me. Use this life, this body, this, these eyes, hands, uh, word, everything. Use it for your glory, your strength. Now watch. 
Then Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me your name. Why does he want to know? Does he know who it is? Does he think he knows who it is? He says, I think that's God, but I think I'm going to ask him to see if he'll tell me. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me your name. And he said, Why is it you want to ask my name? God says, You really know who I am, don't you? Why are you asking my name? When we wake up in the morning, we don't have to say, God, is that you? Are you here? Of course I'm here. I'm always here. I'll never leave you, forsake you. What should you fear? Look what he said after he said, why is it you ask my name? What did he do? That's when he blessed him. That's when he blessed him. Now, what was the blessing? What was the blessing, you know? I don't know. What we're fixing to find out in chapter 33. So Jacob named the place Peniel. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. And Peniel means the face of God. That's what it means. Or God's face. I've seen God face to face. That's what he said. I I, I saw God. I, I wrestled with God. I saw God. I saw his face. And I didn't die. There's places in the Bible that say that you can't see God and live unless God comes in a manifestation in which you can. Do you realize that Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven and came in other, say, maybe a different form in some way other than a man? We might not could have looked at him, right? What if he'd have come in his glory? What would have happened to all of us, to every human being? We'd all died, probably. First of all, we'd all fall on our faces, and then we'd probably all died. So in a sense, he humbled himself and limited himself by putting himself in a human body so that we could actually look at him and not die. I've, I've just brought this up a few times, and I wonder, we know that in all eternity we'll be with God, but will we ever see God the Father? Because God the Father is a spirit being, and God the Holy Spirit is a spirit being. And so will we ever see those two? Maybe the manifestation of God that we see is Jesus Christ manifested as a human being. You ever thought about that? He said, you know, I saw God and I didn't even die. This has been my lucky day. <laughs> yeah, it's been his lucky life. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Pinio, and he was limping on his side. Notice the rest of the book of Genesis. There'll be times, and it'll talk about Jacob and his cane. When you think about Hearing Jacob and his cane, think back to this passage right here. Because he kept going, anybody got a cane? i got to have a cane. Man, this is killing me. This is, it never did get well, by the way. And so look what it says. It says, therefore to this day the sons of Israel, the Jewish people, do not eat the sinew of the hip which is on the socket of the thigh. Why? They don't eat that part because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. They just say, it's a memorial. We're not going to eat that part anymore because that's what God touched. That's where God touched Jacob. For the rest of his life, he remembered that he must rest and trust God every step he took. Charles Rowery said, the memorial to, the, uh, to human beings' struggles against God is, is not the fight, but the cling, to hang on to God. Jacob had to trust God. Every step, I think we have a slide, every step would remind him 
And from this day on, Jacob limped later using the cane. He go ahead to trust God. Let me tell you what. Last night, he went to bed thinking, Esau's coming with 400 to kill me. I got to divide. I got to plan. I got to do all this stuff. He wakes up this morning. Didn't go to sleep, of course, but he went the whole morning. Now he wake, he's got the morning and he says, I'm just going to have to trust God. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to trust God. You know, it's an amazing passage next week, and we'll see it. As when he sees Esau, he goes first. See, he had planned to send who first? All those people. But he goes first, and he goes in front of the families. He was going to send the families first. He was going to send the maids and their children, and then Leah and her children, and then Rachel and her children. But when he gets there, he goes in front. Why? He's trusting God. And he bows down to Esau. And Esau comes running to him. Now, is he coming running to kill him? He's coming running to hug him. And see, he has to trust God. It's amazing. We'll see it next time. You know, one of the things that we have to do is realize it's not our strength, but God's strength through us. Philippians 4.13, we can do all things through the one who strengthens us, but apart from him we can do absolutely nothing. I read this. I think it's neat. There was a man... And uh, his name was Hamilton. He was in Ontario. And he had been cutting some tree limbs. And as he got ready to cut tree limbs, he saw a little bird nest up there and some birds in there. And he thought, well, you know, I'll tell you what. I'm going to wait till they, until I'm gonna wait till they're gone and then I'll cut it down. I just don't want to do that. So he waited till they were gone. And then he took it down and there was a little nest. And what was so amazing, he saw that in this little nest in the bottom, there was a piece of paper. And on the bottom, on that piece of paper was, it said, Psalm 46, We trust in the Lord our God. Be still and know that I am God. The bottom of the nest was made by that. That was what held the nest together. He thought, whoa, that's amazing, isn't it, that these little birds had a piece of paper that said, be still and know that I am God. He is the one who protects us. He's the one who provides. He is the one we must rest to. He is the one we must cling to. So what have we seen? Jacob's going to meet Esau. He's got the plan. He sends his messengers, divides the company. He sends the gifts. He prays. He does all these things. And then he learns to trust God when he wrestles with God. And God changes him from deceiver to prince. And from this point on, he's got a new name and a new way to walk. And both of those things remind him of what God has done. Let me give you some applications and we'll open up for any questions. First one is, how do we face the uncertainties and problems in life? I mean, how do we do it? Well, A... What do we do first? We plan. Use wisely what God's given to us, just like Jacob did. It's wisdom. In the Old Testament, that's very concrete and specific. We talked about this last time, that when, you, when you're when you going through life, you don't just sit there. You say, what, what God has given me and the, the knowledge and the information, I plan. Second thing we do is we pray. We go to God in prayer. Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. We pray and we give it give it to him. We offer our petitions. And we are specific in those petitions. And that takes us to the third thing. And that's when we trust. We rest God. We rest in God's strength. We cling to Him. We say, God, without you, I have absolutely nothing. Let me ask you something. What can you do apart from God? You can't do anything. You may think you can. But you know what? If He wanted to, He'll stop you breathing right this second. So there's not anything that's apart from God. He is our strength. Alan Ross, who was Hebrew professor at Dallas Seminary, said to me, said I was in his class, but I remember him saying, we must rid ourselves of self-sufficiency. You can't, you, you've got to get rid of what we can do. 
Every time Jacob limped, he realized God, it was God's power and not his. Martin Luther wrote a little poem that said this, God only my salvation is, my strong rock is he. He only is my sure defense, I shall not moved be. It's powerful. He says, I just have to trust God, he's my rock. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. God changes us, doesn't he? He changes Jacob to Israel. He changes us from death to life. He changes us from the child of the devil to the child of God. We're now called saints, ambassadors, and new creations. Jacob will never be the same after tonight, after this passage. Never the same. And I thank the Lord that when I was 19 years old, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I've never been the same. I was dead in sin. I was alive in Christ. I was a child of the devil. I'm a child of God. I was destined to be separated from God forever. I have eternal life with God. And he takes us, and he will take our lives, and he'll make us totally different. And he'll use us for his glory. As we face the trials and uncertainties of life, what do we do? We plan, use wisely what God's given us. We pray based on God's promises. We rest in God's strength. He gives us the victory, not us. May we plan, pray, and trust God as we face trials of life. Let's pray and we'll open up for any questions. Heavenly Father, thank you for the life of Jacob and, Lord, how you came in there and did all this. And, Lord, just in our lives, we have to understand that it's not us. We could never do it. We're not the strength. You're the strength. We trust in you and rest in you. That in the problems of life, we plan, we pray, and we trust. And, Lord, as we learn from this passage that we cling to you. We don't fight you. We cling to you. We rest in you. You're our strength and our shield. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us in this room, especially me, that I will trust you and rest in you and all the others as well. And that we'll know that you are our strength and shield. And may we rest in you and trust you from this day forward. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, questions, comments, anything? Anything you want to say tonight? Yes. Uh, 13, 31. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same, same Hebrew word. I don't know why they translated it two different ways there. I think so. Yeah, best I can tell. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. You know, it was nicknamed Jabbok after this because it was where they wrestled. So it was the wrestling place. It was the place you get dusty. So I, I think that it's the same word there, best I could tell. Right. right. The same word, just sometimes they write it. You know, it's kind of funny about... Like Zacharias and Zechariah are the same name. Just some say Zacharias and some say Zacharias. So that's why I said it. And that's why I didn't really bring it up. But I'm glad you did because it's Penuel and Penuel is same. I think it's the same word, same thing. What else? What else? Anything else? Oh, yeah. No, no, the Hebrew word for ish is a, is a man. Just the word for man, yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I thought that myself. Why? Now, here's you got to realize that that the the manuscripts aren't capitals or not. You know, so 
the manuscript, both Hebrew and Greek, if you look at a manuscript, you're not going to say, oh, that's a capital letter and this one's not. They were either all capitals or all little letters. They were called minuscules or uncles. Uncles were capital letters, minuscules were small letters. That's the Greek. And then the Hebrew, the Masoretic text, were just the letters written out. So you couldn't go to the original language and say, oh, that's supposed to be capitalized. And so sometimes the translators of our Bible, when they think or when they are sure or when they are assuming in their translation that it is God, they usually capitalize it. And as I studied this, my New American Standard does not capitalize anything in there. And that's and, and maybe because uh, they just said, well, you know, we can't be sure of anything. You know, and I brought it up a while ago. Is I think it's obvious that when we read it, we can tell who the he's are. You know, and he did this and he did this. We can say, well, that looks like that's God doing this and that's Jacob saying this. But I don't know why, I don't know why the translators didn't take it upon themselves to capitalize because they do in a lot of other places. That's, I don't know. Well, he says he saw God because that was God in some kind of manifestation. Just like the burning bush was God. And just like, even even when Moses said, I really want to see your face. And God said, I'll let you see my back. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll go by and you can look at my back. Which, what was that? Let's think about it, y'all, because, I mean, God is a spirit being. And he makes some kinds of manifestations. You know, angels are spirit beings and they sometimes appear like people. Humanly, you know, we've seen it in the scripture. So maybe at certain times, that's why they call these theophanies. Sometimes they're called Christophanies, which means a Christ appearing. And so here's a question. You go back to the very beginning of Genesis, and we raise the same question at the start of the book, when God God would come to them in the garden in the cool of the evening. What did he look like when he came to them? What kind of manifestation? And then when they ran and hid and they heard God coming, Boom, boom. What does he make? What do you mean? He's a spirit being, right? What was he coming like? How did he, how did he make himself manifest so that they could talk to him? Doesn't tell us. And you know, all these passages would have say, and the Lord said to Jacob, it doesn't say any way how God said anything to Jacob. It doesn't say God just appeared there, or did Jacob just go, I think I, I think I hear him talking in my head, or I think I hear a voice. It doesn't tell us any of those things. It's pretty amazing. Now, today, we have the total written revelation. God speaks to us through the Word, and we have it. Different than they had. you got to remember from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Moses, there was no written revelation at all. Moses wrote the first five books. No written revelation until 1,500 years before Christ was born. Powerful stuff. Okay. Anything else? Okay. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thanks for the fun that we have as we study the Bible. Thanks for letting us all be together. Most of all, thank you for Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.